You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. I want to talk to you this morning about zeal. Some of my earliest memories growing up are of attending Florida State football games with my family. We'd get there early and we would tailgate and eat a lot of food and then walk into the stadium and watch the game and walk back and get home late at night. And I remember those days fondly hanging out with my family at those games. The area where we tailgated, there was a certain gentleman uh, that I would see often in that, in that place. And I knew him as Fred the Head. Now that may not mean anything to you. But Fred the Head was bald, and he would get the Seminole logo painted on his bald head for every game. He became well known. If you watched the games back in those days, you'd see him on TV, and he would always tailgate right near where we tailgated, and I just was in awe. A little guy, you know, Fred the Head, you know, there's Fred the Head. And now, if you let somebody spend a few hours painting your head with your favorite college logo... That's zeal, right? That's zeal. And I want to talk to you about having that kind of zeal, but that kind of zeal directed in a particular area. I want to talk to you this morning about being zealous, earnest, passionate about unity. And I want you to see this in the text with me. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's living word. How do you like these vacation Bible school decorations? It's always one of my favorite Sundays of the year to preach. I love to preach with all these decorations on the stage and all around us because these decorations indicate we're about to have a wonderful, wonderful week of investing in the lives of children and families and teaching the Bible and teaching about Jesus and having a great time. So uh, I just love what these decorations represent. And, and I wanted to ask you just specifically to be praying for Vacation Bible School, that it will be a wonderful, wonderful, Christ-honoring, kingdom-expanding kind of week. And by the way, not only is this room decorated, the campus has decorations all over it, and it takes an, uh, an army of volunteers to do that. And so I want to thank everyone that's been involved in getting the campus ready for VBS. Kids really do love it. They come, and it's colorful and bright. And, and I just want to thank everyone that, that played a role in getting the campus ready. Ephesians chapter... Four, verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, Paul speaking, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now look at that phrase, eager to maintain. 
That word eager could be translated as giving strenuous effort towards or to be zealous for. So he's saying there, be zealous to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He goes on to say there's one body and one Spirit. Just as you recall to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, as we study your word, we, we express our dependence upon you. We need you in this moment to work in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, that our eyes might be opened, that we might see these truths and consider these truths and apply these truths to our lives. Lord, may we be a zealous people, zealous for the things that glorify you, zealous for for unity in the body of Christ. We love you, we praise you, We thank you for your presence in this place. And we lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've said often through this study, Ephesians has an overarching theme, and I've given it to you there in your notes. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us. We've talked about that the last months together, chapters 1 through 3. But God's grace also unites us with other believers. We'll talk about that this morning. And God's grace strengthens our Christian walk. That's what this book of Ephesians is all about. And we've made it to chapter 4. And as I mentioned last week, in chapter 4, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says they're a prisoner of the Lord in jail for preaching the gospel, transitions in this letter from doctrine to application. I I love the way J. Sidlow Baxter says it. He just says it better than I can. He said that chapters 1 through 3 are are about our wealth in Christ, all the blessings that we have through Jesus. Chapters 4 through 6 are about our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in light of all that God has done for us through His Son. So the the transition is from what God has done to what we must be and what we must do in response to that. It's a transition from doctrine to duty, from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications for everyday living. From wealth in Christ to our walk with Christ. Which is exactly what he says in verse 1. Look what he says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, in light of all that I've said, all that God has done, all of His grace in your life, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Paul's going to use this metaphor of walking uh, often in Ephesians. And the, the metaphor walk means, means your manner of living, how you live your life. So he says, live in such a way that you are worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What he's saying there is this. We need to live in such a way that our lives correspond to our spiritual position as children of God. Our practical living should match our spiritual position. 
Or let me say it like this. Our walk should match our talk. Amen? The way we live should be commensurate with what we say we believe. If we, if we shout from the rooftops, Jesus changes lives. When people look at our lives, they ought to see change. They ought to see our life coming to greater conformity with who we are in Christ. So the rest of this letter deals with what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. For your, your walk to match your talk. And Paul's going to deal with things like unity. He's going to deal with things like maturity and purity. He's going to talk about family. He's going to talk about spiritual victory. And all of these are components of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But it's interesting that he starts with unity in the church. And notice what it says there in verse 3. He says, Be eager, zealous, give strenuous effort or intense effort towards maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Zealous for unity. And notice there the word unity, which means oneness. Now this is interesting in the context because if you remember in chapters 2 and chapters 3, Paul makes a big deal about God saving people from different backgrounds and bringing them into the same body, the same family, the same church. And Paul understood as God saves people from different backgrounds, he'll save Jews and Gentiles, people that speak different languages, different skin colors, different socioeconomic levels. As he brings different people into the body of Christ, there's going to be a, an inclination towards friction because people are different. So Paul, knowing this, begins his talk about living in a manner worthy of the gospel by pointing them to the need to be zealous for unity. Unity, oneness. Then he uses the word bond, another word for oneness. And then he uses the word peace, the bond of peace. The, the word peace in this context means absence of conflict. That, that, that people are one on the same page. So how do, we, how do we maintain unity? Well, let me give you just one quick clue right on the front end. Look what he says there in verse 3. He says, eager to maintain the unity, watch this, of the Spirit. Now listen, this is important. Unity in the body of Christ is not natural. You know what's natural? Fussing and fighting. That's natural. That's flesh. Unity in the body of Christ is supernatural. The Spirit does it. The Spirit brings it about as He works in our life to bring about certain attitudes and characteristics. So I want to talk to you about how we need the Spirit to work in and through our lives to be zealous for unity. And there are two points to this sermon. If you look there in your notes, under point number two, there are no subpoints, which means we're not going to get to it this week. That's why it says, Zealous for Unity, Part 1. All right, We'll get to Part 2 next week. And I want to focus on that first point there in your notes. To maintain unity, there are four characteristics we need to exhibit. Produced in our, our lives by the Spirit, supernatural, 
but four characteristics that you and I need to exhibit if we're going to live in unity and promote unity in the body of Christ. Look what it says there in verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility. That's the first characteristic of maintaining unity. Humility. Humility. With all humility. This word translated humility is a compound word that literally means to think or to judge with lowliness. So it translates something like have a, a lowliness of mind. Now what does that mean? What does humility look like in our Christian lives? Well, humility is present, listen, when you put others ahead of yourself. Others ahead of yourself. That's how you know that humility is growing in your life when others come before you. And you say, well, are there any, any models of humility that we can follow? Well, I'm glad you asked. Philippians 2 tells us the model is Jesus. In, in, in Philippians 2... Uh, Paul writes, think of others more highly than yourselves. He says, count, listen, count others as more significant than yourself. And then he says, have this attitude in you, this attitude of humility, putting others first. And he says, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he describes how Jesus displayed and exemplified humility. He tells us that Jesus, being in the form of God, equal with God, he, he, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He left the splendor and glory of heaven as the second person of the Trinity and took on the, the frailties and weaknesses of humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Bible says, Philippians 2, he took the form of a man, took on the form of a servant, so he could come to this earth and in obedience to the Father... Go to the cross and die for our sins. The Bible says he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus left the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven and took on humanity and suffered and died for you. For you. He counted you more significant than himself. That's humility on display. So humility is basically just being like Jesus. Amen? It's what it is. It's present when you put others ahead of yourself. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He wrote, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Andrew Murray said, humility is not thinking badly of yourself. It's when you simply do not think of yourself at all. Why? Because you're thinking of others. Now, here's the question. Why is humility such a big deal when it comes to this issue of unity? Here's why it's a big deal. Behind all discord, there is pride lurking. 
Pride is lurking behind all discord. And the way you deal with pride that leads to conflict is by laying it down and humbling yourself just like Jesus. Now can I just remind you, God doesn't like discord. It says here in Ephesians 4, the first aspect of walking worthy is to promote unity, to maintain unity, to be zealous for unity. Over in Proverbs 6, this might surprise you, but in Proverbs 6 there's a list of seven things that God hates. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Seven things God hates. And in that list he lists things like haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that run to evil. And again, he says a false witness. He mentions lying twice. But here's the final thing on that list of things that God hates. Listen. One who sows discord among brothers. Whoa. God Hates discord in his body. It Listen, it grieves and angers his heart when we are guilty of sowing discord in the body of Christ among brothers and sisters. This is a big deal. And pride lurks behind all discord. Now there are several, through my years of pastoral ministry, there are several reasons why people come into conflict with each other in the church. Probably the main one, we'll talk about another one in a minute, but probably one of the main reasons people come into conflict in the body of Christ is because of preferences. You say, Pastor, what's a preference? It means because of your background, your experiences, your attitude, your personality, your taste, there are things that you prefer over against other things. Or certain ways you like things to be done over against other ways things are done. And everybody in the church has preferences. I have preferences, you have preferences. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all different. God made us different. We have different backgrounds. There's nothing wrong with preferences. But here's what happens in the church. And I've seen it over and over again. When people don't live in humility... And pride begins to, to rear its ugly head. People say, my preference is right and your preference is wrong. And people begin to fight over preferences. And it's not humility. It's, it's pride on display. So, for example... There are preferences on music. Did you know that? Do you know that in churches they have different preferences on music in the churches? Did you know that? Anybody? This is the first time you've heard that, that people discuss preferences about music. Every church, every church has this discussion about music. And, and really, it's usually about the publication dates of the t- when the music came into being. Or, or preferences about programming. I want this program instead of that program. Or even preferences about, about buildings. Like the kind of building I want or, or the way I want to use the building that I have. You know what I've learned about preferences? I've learned that 
I need to view my preferences. Listen to me. And I have my own. Just I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I have my own preferences. But I've learned that I need to view my preferences in the light of eternity. And, and ask myself the question, is this going to be something I want to complain to Jesus about when I get to heaven? I mean, can you imagine marching up to Jesus when you get to heaven and saying, Jesus, for the past 15 years, I've been recording the publication dates of every song that we've sung. And 60% of them were after the year 1995. And 40% were before the year 1995. And I think we ought to have a 50-50 split. Are you going to talk to Jesus about that in heaven? Probably not. Can you imagine going to Jesus and saying, that Daniel Cruz, he, he, kept, he kept having us sing this song where I had to use Elizabethan English. And Jesus say, what song? How great thou art. How, listen, I, I, I know I'm making, how silly will that be in the light of eternity? I've seen churches get angry about the use of facilities. How many, how many classrooms have sent the Minister of Education running with his tail between his legs because he wanted to move them to another room? Can you imagine going up to Jesus one day, saying, Jesus, the Minister of Education came and tried to move us out of our room. We had our own coffee pot. We had our pictures on the wall. He wanted to move us down the hall, and we stopped him, Jesus. Are you going to brag about that in heaven? What I'm trying to get you to see is things that we fuss and fight about often just are at the level of preferences. Now, I'm going to tell you next week, there are some things we need to fuss and fight about. There are some things that we need to stand for. We'll talk about that next week. Doctrine and truth. But when it comes to most of what happens in churches, it's mostly based around, around preferences. I... Uh, was a church planter. Claire and I planted a church in Mississippi, and for the first three, we got some Mississippi folks here this morning. And for the first for the first three years, um, we were in a converted hardware store, and it was just it, we did the best we could, but it was old. When when it would get cold and, and it would freeze, our pipes would freeze. We'd have to bring in porta potties for bathrooms, and it had this really noisy heater. And the heater come on, and it would shake so loud they couldn't hear me preach. And and it was small, and we'd outgrown it, and and it was just old, and and it was just not an ideal facility. But but God was blessing, and we were growing quickly in that facility. And I'm telling you, God met with us there. I mean, powerful worship services, lives being changed. And I actually had people tell me, listen, I had people tell me, hey, we like your message, we like what you're about, we like your vision, we like where you're heading, and when you get a building, we'll come and join with you then. What? Are you going to march up to Jesus one day and say, hey, Jesus, I waited until they had a nicer building before I joined that church? Preferences, preferences. We, we, we've got to evaluate our preferences in the light of eternity. So what's the answer? The answer is humility. Counting others as more significant than yourself. What if? And this is a big one. What if? What if? Daniel's phone blew up on Monday. 
or Tuesday or Wednesday. And it was senior adults. And he said, Daniel, man, we, we get, we, there's some songs we love. I love singing How Great Thou Art Sunday. That was awesome. And, but Daniel, we, we looked around. We looked around the room, and we're seeing more and more young people there. And, man, we want them, oh, we want them to take hold of Christ. We want them transformed by Jesus. Make sure, make sure, Daniel, we're singing some of the new stuff so they can connect with Jesus. Can you imagine what that would mean to a church to have that level of setting aside preference for others? Or what if Daniel had a, a college student call him this week? And say, you know what, Daniel? I notice that when we sing It Is Well With My Soul, there's, a, there's a, an older lady that sits on the pew with me. She sits down on the other end. But I notice every time we sing that song, that tears fill her eyes and run down her cheek. And I know that means something to her. And God ministers to her through that song. So, Daniel, make sure we keep singing It Is Well With My Soul. I don't know it very good, but I'll learn it because God is using it. Putting others ahead of yours. And what if, what if your class said to the staff, hey, we like where we are, we got our Keurig here, and it's great, but if you can put us somewhere else where we can meet, and it helps to reach more people and start new classes, man, we'll move. It doesn't matter where we meet. What if this idea of humility began to pervade our hearts and our lives, and we were ser- not, not just lips serious about putting others ahead of ourselves. Now, we have great unity here. We don't have any major big issues, but wouldn't this be healthy if this is the way we moved forward and grew and reached people, laying down our preferences for Others living in humility, it's a big deal. Because believe me when I tell you, pride lurks behind all discord. Humility. The second characteristic of those that are eager for unity is gentleness. Look what it says back in verse 3, or sorry, verse 2. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with, with, with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. This word gentleness is interesting. It, it could be translated meekness. It was used in the first century of domesticated animals. And, and, and understand that meekness is not a synonym for weakness. That's not what the word means at all. The word meekness means strength under control. So think about a domesticated animal. You know, think about a, a horse that's, that has been domesticated to the point where people can ride the horse with a bit and a bridle. It's a strong, powerful animal, but, but the horse is strength under control, the control of another. And, and that's the idea of this word gentleness or meekness. And self-control is a big deal. Over in Proverbs 16, verse 32, the Bible says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. In other words, you want to be strong? Live with self-control. That's the way you exhibit strength in this life. 
And so this word gentleness, this word meekness, really speaks of how we respond to others. That's in your notes. How we respond to others. So I told you a lot of conflict in the church is, is because of preferences. Another major area of conflict in the church deals with personal conflict. Just people in the life of the church, for whatever reason, disagreeing about something and, and fussing and fighting, disagreeing, complaining, whatever the case may be. I've seen a lot of people that, that come at odds with one another within the body of Christ. And the question is, well, how do you deal with that? When someone disagrees with you or someone's angry at you or you're angry at someone else, how do you deal with that in a Christ-honoring way if you're zealous for unity? Answer, gentleness. Listen to what Proverbs 15.1 says. A soft or a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Amen? Pretty clear. Gentleness. That's one of the spirit-produced characteristics of those who are eager, zealous for unity. Gentleness. How do you respond to others? When someone upsets you, when someone lets you down, when someone tells something you don't think they ought to do, when someone comes at you with a complaint, when someone comes at you with some vitriol, how do you respond? Do you lash out at them or, or lash back out at them? Do you respond with anger or do you control yourself by the power of the Spirit and speak with gentleness? Gentleness is like pouring water on a fire. It just causes the fire to die out. I remember one time, long time ago, a gentleman in my church asked me to come over to his house one day. And, and he was upset at me about something I knew nothing about. It was because of a decision a, a staff member had made. And uh, I sat down and, and he just, boy, he just unloaded about the decision. It wasn't a really a big deal at all. It was kind of it was a misunderstanding, and and uh, I mean I just sat there and he just unloaded and and uh, it was hard just to sit there because I again I knew nothing about it I had no I had no part of the decision I just was blindsided really and for a moment I felt myself you know wanted to kind of just say hey wait a minute you know let you know but I let him talk. And, and I, by God's grace, I haven't always responded like this. I've got some stories of when I didn't do well. But, but by God's grace, I, I just said, hey, I understand how you feel. And uh, I know that hurts you. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. And you could just see him just, the tension just released from his body. Just released from his body. Again, there have been times I haven't responded well. I've responded with anger. I'm not the model Jesus is. But I'm telling you this, if you will live in gentleness towards others, even those with, with whom you disagree, you'll be surprised at how that will promote unity in the body of Christ. There's another word here. It's the word patience. Look what it says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. He gives us the word patience as a noun first. Then he gives us the verse, verb form. Look what he says next. 
with patience, bearing with one another. That's the verb form of patience. So the noun and the verb are both here. We, we are to live with patience toward others, to, to bear with someone. Patience, listen, does not give up on other people. Even when you're frustrated, even when you're disappointed, you are patient with them. Let me give you two areas of patience very quickly. First of all, patience is endurance in the face of ill treatment without retaliation. If you're patient with someone, bearing with someone, even if you've been hurt, you're not retaliating. You're patient with them. Patience is endurance with other shortcomings without breaking relationship. Someone's let you down. Someone's disappointed you. But instead of you saying, I'm through with them, you're patient with them, knowing that God is still working in their life. If you are patient with others, you will eventually get over things that offend or bother you. If you are patient with others, you won't overreact. And let me ask this question, and I think you know the answer. Why is patience so important? Reason? You ready? Because all people have their weaknesses and shortcomings. You see, I know people have had to be patient with me. Through my weaknesses and my shortcomings. So I owe it to others and to the Lord and to the, the church to be patient with other people. If you look at someone and say, well, they're not perfect. Well, neither are you. And your preacher's got his issues. We, we need to be patient with one another. I'm so grateful through the years, the people that have been patient with me. Aren't you glad of that? And so patience is a characteristic of those who, who are called to be zealous for unity. There, there's one final characteristic here. We're going to look at this and be through. And it is love. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with, that's patient with, bearing with one another in love. Great, great way to end the sentence. In love. You say, wait, what is love? Love is affection for someone that is sacrificial and unconditional. No matter what they've done, how they've hurt you, no matter if their preferences are different than your preferences, you're going to love them. Years ago I read a book and there was a little word picture in the book and it's kind of silly but it's really helped me through the years it just has and the word picture is this we should never let someone outside of our circle of love I don't know why that's just really that that picture's really helped me through the years and when I find myself frustrated I'm like oh they're kind of outside the circle right now let me pull them back in and I'm going to just keep loving them affection sacrificial Unconditional. The word there is agape. That's the godlike kind of love. The love Jesus displayed for us by coming to this earth and dying on the cross in our place. 
And we're called to embrace that love and extend it to others. Listen to what Colossians 3.14 says. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That word bond means something like glue. It, it bonds us, glues us together. And when you and I, by the power of the Spirit, remember it's supernatural, not natural. When you and I, by the power of the Spirit, really love each other, we won't let each other outside of our circle of love. Even if we disagree, even if we see things differently, we're going to love each other. When that happens, it is like glue in a church. It brings us all together and makes us closer. Love is on display. Love is that glue. And so Paul says... If you want to be zealous for unity, when you really want to promote it and maintain it in the body of Christ, yes, we're all different. We all have different backgrounds, different tastes, different preferences, different attitudes, different personalities. Some of you in this room are extroverts. Some of you are introverts, right? We speak, you know, there are different languages represented in this room, different first languages we learn. There are different socioeconomic levels in this room, in this church, Different family situations in in this room, in in this church. When we're different, and that's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. That people who are different come together and by the power of the Spirit love one another. I mean really love one another. When that happens, it's like glue. It's like glue. It glues us all together. Now there is a second point. Seven foundations we'll look at next week that we need to build our unity upon. But this week, I want you to think about your own individual life. And and I want you to ask yourself the question, do I see these characteristics in my life? Because here, listen, here's the danger of a sermon like this. I guarantee you some of you are thinking, boy, so-and-so needs to hear this. You might be looking down the pew at them, right? That's the danger of a sermon like this. Listen, I need this message. You need this message. Don't stop thinking about everybody else. How's your humility? How's your gentleness? How's your patience? How's your love? Is it growing in your life by the work of the Holy Spirit? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.